Good morning. I trust that your, your hearts are full. As I sat there and as I stood and I listened to the words and I sang the words as we worshiped our amazing, our big, and our wonderful God. I looked at the passage. I'm, I'm singing these words. And God has already prepared us for what he's going to teach us today. You know, we're in 1 John. We're almost finished. Next week will be our last message in this series. But the elder statesman, John, he He's been walking with God for a long time. He started off as one of the disciples. He experienced the crucifixion and the resurrection. He was there when the church began and God unleashed the Holy Spirit to all the believers. He saw the highs and the lows in the church. And he's older now. He's already put in 50, 60 years as a pastor, as an apostle. And he's near the end. After this, he's still going to write the book of Revelation, which some of you, again, are familiar with. But right now, he's sharing his heart. Some of you may think John's a little senile. (laughs) And I can understand that. He seems to repeat himself a lot. He seems to say things over and over and over again. But realistically, this is not just John, the old man, talking to us. This is John, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to put down all of these words for his church. Maybe it was written first to the church at Ephesus. But we know it's been kept, and we know that we have these words for us today. And he's bringing his letter to a close. And I think still hammering, still focusing on what is critical, not only for his church back then, but our church today. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your blessings. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your provision. And Lord, sometimes we just start off our prayers just focusing on us and thanking you for all the good things you give us, which I think is right. But realistically, God, you are God of gods, King of kings, your creator, You're omniscient, you're omnipresent, 
You're omnipotent. You are a great God. A God that puzzles us in, in the way that you work. A God that overwhelms us by your love and your grace. And we just want to say thank you. We do want to worship you. We want to adore you. We want to grow in relationship with you. But God, there are so many things that seem to be pulling on our strings. So God, we pray today that you would do a mighty work in us and through us. Father, we pray for Ukraine. We pray for peace in Ukraine. We pray for all the believers who are there in the churches that are gathering together. We pray for your protection. We pray for your supply. We pray for your courage. Give them wisdom as families are separated. We thank you for all the organizations, some of which we get to partner with even today as we give of our offerings that, that will go and bring food and shelter and blankets. Father, we are overwhelmed and don't understand all of the world's tragedies, all the hurts, all the people that to us seem to die needlessly or limp through life. God, we are so glad you are God. And we put our faith in you and our trust in you and ask that you continually give us wisdom and guidance and how to use our time and our treasures. We ask that, God. We ask that you would allow us to partner with churches and places here and, and really all over the world. Father, we... I pray especially for a few of the churches that are right here. A few of the churches, Lord, that, that um, their flocks are being fed probably right now. We pray, Father, for Meadowland. And we pray for Casa de Rocion. And we pray for Life Spring. We ask you, dear God, that, that you would... Use your word powerfully that the praise of the saints would bless you and that you would empower us to be salt and light wherever we go. We ask you to open up our eyes today. We ask, Father, that nothing would be said that would distract from what you want to be heard and that your Holy Spirit would just teach us. We do pray today, Father, for conviction. We pray for inspiration. We pray for the Spirit just to work in our lives in the way that you want the Spirit to work. We are grateful even, Lord, as we focus differently these days as we come to the time where we celebrate your death and your resurrection. We know, God, that in our world, um, this is seen as 
religion for the most part. But God, there are things that have distracted us and there are things that have um, deceived us. And we are asking during these days up to Good Friday and Easter that we would be able to prepare our own hearts that you would reveal to us areas of blindness and deception. And ultimately, Lord, we would walk with you. In fact, that's John's prayer. (laughs) John's prayer is that his church walks with you, become more intimate, because it changes us and it changes the kingdom. We thank you, Lord, And again, ask you to open our eyes as we open your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Did you ever get a family lecture from your parents? Or maybe you're a parent now, and now you give family lectures. Now, now let me illustrate this, because I I think probably parents are really good at giving lectures, you know, uh, but as I was growing up, I, I went to school, grammar school, <laughs> you can tell it wasn't from around here, in the city of Chicago. And, and in at least that system, we had four times a year for progress reports. Progress reports. And they were simple. And on one side, there was grades on all the subjects. On the other side... Well, technically, they're character checks. Those were hard days for me. Honestly, you know, four times a year, I knew I had to bring this progress report home. And in some ways, I wish my mom would just see it and sign it and let me go. It just never was that way. Just wasn't. And I can tell you exactly how it went every single time, okay? Hand my progress report. And I would just say this, Dad, this is a progress report. And he'd look at me and grunt. That's all, just not a man of a lot of words. Opens it up. On the left side, he only asked me one question every time. Did you do your best? Well, that's a dumb question. Oh, okay, I just want you to know. Because you know you did not do your best always. <laughs> At least some subjects. So the answer is no. And his response was, okay, need to do your best. And that was it, so I asked, cool. But you know, with my dad, I, I'll tell you, the left side wasn't as important as the right side. Do you believe this? Like... That was the side says, being a team player, listening to others, respecting authority, not causing fights, and all the other different things. If there were checks (laughs) on that side, that is where my dad sat me down. And it would go something like this. You do know you're a wager. And every smart 
Alec bone in my body would say, of course I know I'm a wager. What do you think? Why do you keep asking me the same question? But then he would go down and he would say, you know something? If you did this and you did this, you've got to go. You've got to go apologize. You've got to make this right. You've got to fix the issue. Now, in some ways, I love my father. And he was an amazing father. But I wonder if something different would have happened if he would have just said, hey, Rick, you're God's son. And do you know that lying doesn't represent God well? And do you know that not being submissive to your teacher, not handing assignments on time, do you know that reflects upon God? Now, I don't know if it would have made a difference. I, I don't. But I know this. I think this is where we're at with John right now. He's had relationships with these folks. He's looking at the church in many ways. And basically, he's saying this. When you walk with God, <laughs> you're going to act a certain And I just want you to know, you reflect God. So why don't you act like one of God's kids? 1 John chapter 5. We're going to start reading at verse 1. You can follow along on the screen or in your Bibles. 1 John chapter 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, has become a child of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his children too. We know we love God's children if we love God and obey his commandments. Loving God means keeping his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For every child of God defeats this evil world. And we achieve this victory through our faith. And who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We're going to stop there. We're actually going to come back there again. We're going to jump around a little bit in these first 12 verses. But John starts off saying something pretty familiar. Everyone who believes Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God, has become a child of God. You're one of God's kids. John wanted to make this crystal clear. Faith in Jesus is the only way to become part of God's family, and everyone is welcome to join. You know... John was really clear in looking at the gospel. In previous spots, he, he shared clearly that we're all separated from God because of our sin. But Jesus, who was the Messiah, the promised Savior, the long-awaited King, Jesus, Jesus loved us and Jesus came. And Jesus was the perfect Lamb of God. John used this word, propitiation. Only Jesus, God's son, could have satisfied God's wrath. We're all sinners. We all need a sacrifice. And none of us could do it. 
None of the sheep, so the goats could do it. Only a perfect lamb of God, sinless. So this was a pretty important scenario. Faith in Son of God's work on the cross changes us and actually changes our family. So what John does in this text, we're going to jump to verse 6 and then, like I said, come back. But he's sharing with everybody that's listening, hey, I, I just want you to know that if you believe in Jesus, you're a child of God. And believing that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, is critical. So John, at this moment, starting in verse 6, calls six witnesses to the stand. If you could picture this, you're in a courtroom. And what John simply does is this. I want to bring to the judge six things that prove, that show that Jesus is the Son of God. Let's start. Verse 6. And Jesus Christ was revealed as God's Son by his baptism in water. The first witness that Jesus was the Son of God was his baptism. Baptism of Jesus was so important that it was recorded in all four of the Gospels Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All right? Some have pointed out that being sinless, Jesus had no need of being baptized. He does not belong here. And that is true. He no more belongs at a baptism for repentance than he does on a cross for sinners. But in both events, he identifies himself with the sinners that he came to save. And what I'd like to do is actually read what happens in Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. After his baptism, Jesus came out of the water. The heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and setting on him. A voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son, who brings me great joy. John said this. Well, at his baptism, Jesus was told, that he was the Son of God, and all these people heard it. The second thing that shows that Jesus was the Son of God was his crucifixion. Continue on in verse 6. And Jesus was revealed as God's Son by his baptism in water and by the shedding of his blood on the cross. Not by water only, but by water and blood. The crucifixion shows Jesus was the Son of God. The events around the crucifixion, which we're going to be focusing on again in really just a few weeks, shouted. Darkness and during the middle of the day for three hours. The temple curtain being rent from top to bottom. Which was a bold statement of giving us access to God himself. And the open tombs. As you read through that. And and God allowed different folks to be raised from the dead. And walk literally around Jerusalem at that time. Well, this was crazy different than any other death. 
Even at the end of this time, you and I read about the calloused soldiers. Soldiers who saw crucifixions day after day after day. And one of the soldiers said this, this man truly is the son of God. Then the Holy Spirit's involvement in Christ's life showed that he was the son of God. As we continue in verse 6, and the spirit who is truth confirms it with his testimony. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth the source and revealer of divine truth, particularly about Jesus Christ. The Spirit was involved at Christ's conception. We've already seen it at his baptism, during his temptation, and as you read through the Gospels all the way through his ministry. Now John says this, the Spirit and the water and the blood all agree that Jesus was God's Son. Verse 7 there. And so we have these three witnesses, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and all three agree. All three agree. Then God the Father comes in, the fourth witness. Well, God, and and again, many heard God's voice at Christ's baptism, but there's a story, especially in John chapter 5, where Jesus' authority is being questioned. And he basically answers the question in John chapter 5, and he says, well, hey, I, I just want you to know, you guys think pretty much of John the Baptist, and John the Baptist knew I was the perfect Lamb of God, that I was the Son of God, but I have a greater witness than John the Baptist. Not to us, that might not be a big deal, but back then it was a big deal. And he said, God the Father gave me my authority because I'm the son of God. In John chapter 5, starting at verse 36, this is what Jesus said. But I have a greater witness than John, my teachings and my miracles. The Father gave me these works to accomplish, and they prove that he sent me. And the Father who sent me has testified about me himself. Then John goes on and says, not only do we have his baptism and his crucifixion, all right? Not only that, not only the Holy Spirit, not only God the Father, these are all pretty good witnesses, but I also want you to know that you, yourself, your transformation is a witness. That you are born again. You are a new creation. You think and you act differently. In verse 10, all who believe in the Son of God know in their hearts that his testimony is true. In Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, the Apostle Paul writes this, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. And even in this context, you are saved from sin's penalty. You are saved from sin's power and authority over you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Paul writes this, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life begun. The last witness is actually eternal life. 
And in John chapter 11 and 12, he writes this. And this, verses 11 and 12, and this is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life, and whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. See, when John talks about eternal life, he's always talking about life which begins when each one of us come to faith, and then it never ends. It is abundant living now, which ushers us eventually into God's eternal presence. Now, we're going to spend the majority of the time back in chapter, or in chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. And I think what happens, this sets us up, even though, again, we've already read this, we've gone through this, you've heard some of these same verses before, but let me go back, chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. And I'd like to maybe start and say it this way. You know, it's easy to spot one of God's kids, the ones who actually walk with God, because they're different. Now, those that come to faith don't have to walk with God. You don't have to stay connected with God. You're miserable, but you don't have to do that. But if you do come to faith, you walk with God, you grow in your relationship with God, you begin to bear the fruit of the Spirit, you begin to change from the inside out and you begin to mirror God wherever you go. So the longer you walk with God, the more you mirror God. You act like God, especially to others. Now what John is saying here is that God's kids love their father. God's kids love their father. Let me just stop there for a moment because there's not actually telling us until a little bit later what that looks like but he's just making a statement when someone comes to faith and recognizes who God is and how much God has loved them the natural normal response is to love back now you may have had wonderful earthly fathers and no matter how wonderful your earthly fathers were and, and I know some didn't have such good ones. But the ones who were good, no father can compare to God. We, as believers, are drawn to God, who is perfect and wise and loving and gracious and just and always in control. We would go to our earthly fathers and ask for advice. We'd go to our earthly fathers and want some encouragement or help with making decisions. But they weren't like our heavenly father. Hopefully they were connected with God and hopefully they gave you wise advice. But they weren't God. God's kids love their father. Then, John writes this, God's kids also love their brothers and sisters. And over these last few weeks, we understand again, the word love is supernatural and sacrificial. So not only do God's kids love their dad, they also love their brothers and sisters right here in the church. In the church, community is rich, fellowship is alluring, and love is the norm. 
in the church, it's a place where there are no harsh words and no prejudices and no grudges. There's supernatural kindness and forgiveness and compassion reigns. You say, like, what church are you talking about? Actually, this church and every other church. I'm not saying that we have arrived, but as we walk with Jesus, that's the hope. This becomes more and more of a reality. Now, here's where John actually tells us what loving God looks like. Because, let's face it, that's a little bit difficult at times. It's not like loving your wife or loving your kids or loving your boss or you just go right through it all. You can see that person. You have interaction with that person. How do you love the Father? Well, John says God's kids Love the Father by obeying them. Loving the Father means keeping his commandments. I'll tell you, anytime you just hear about that and you just let that sit for a little bit, and you go like, are you kidding me? So my love for God depends on whether I listen to him, all those commandments, all those things he wants me to do. Come on. I thought there were no strings attached. But John tries to explain this, I think, a little bit, that loving the Father means keeping his commandments. That means God's kids, they know the word. They spend time in God's love letter with God. This is a priority, understanding and listening to God. And they find out that they obey because they get to obey, not because they have to obey. It happens in every relationship, especially as you fall more and more in love with somebody. Maybe you obey them or listen to them out of obligation in the beginning or because of ramifications. But as you spend time with them, you begin to want to listen and obey them because you love them. And that's how it is with God. Obedience pleases God and advances the kingdom. But here's the kicker. His commandments are not burdensome. His requests aren't hard. Oh, that has got to take our attention a little bit. But, but they are a delight and they bring joy and freedom. As you listen to God, there is joy and freedom. In obeying God's word. How cool is that? Now, I'm going to read some verses out of Psalm 119. And one of the beautiful texts in all of the scriptures is Psalm 119. And in Psalm 119, there's 176 verses. And just about every one of the verses talk about God's word, God's principles, God's laws somewhere. And what I did, I listed some up on the screen, didn't print them out, but I'm just going to read through these verses on what the psalmist talks about God's word to give us a little better perspective. Starting in verse one, joyful are the people of integrity who follow the instructions of the Lord. Joyful are those who obey his laws and search for him with all their hearts. 
I will delight in your decrees and not forget your word. Make me walk along the path of your commands, for that is where my happiness is found. I will walk in freedom, for I have devoted myself to your commandments. How I delight in your commands, how I love them. Surround me with your tender mercy so I may live or experience life. For your instructions are my delight. If your instructions hadn't sustained me with joy, I would have died in my misery. I will never forget your commandments, for by them you give me life. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. Your laws are my treasure. They are my heart's delight. You are my refuge and my shield. Your word is my source of joy. As pressure and stress bear down on me, I find joy in your commands. I rejoice in your word like someone who discovers a great treasure. You know, the creator loves you and knows what's best for you and for me. There is great joy in listening and obeying. And because God's kids listen, they are victorious. And this is such a great promise. It, it, it really does. Let's go back to 1 John in chapter 5. And I'm going to read verses 4 and 5. For every child of God defeats the evil world. And we achieve this victory through our faith. And those who win are those. Um, and who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Because God's kids listen, they are victorious or literally overcomers. Every child of God defeats the enemy, the world, because of their faith. Now, John has already addressed a little bit about this world. If you go back just a couple chapters in 1 John chapter 2, looking at verse 15, John writes this, don't love the world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see in the pride in our accomplishments and achievements. These are not from the Father, but they are from the world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. John knows that our faith has defeated the power and the allure of the world. In fact, I think John is writing this because he thinks the church has bought it. The church has been deceived. You see, the world's philosophies and promises are seductive. The world's success and fulfillment focuses on power and prestige and wealth and accomplishments. Fear reigns in a world without God. Moderns believe that church is an activity, not a community. 
Or just come once a week or once a month or at least at Christmas and at Easter. Or watch online. So basically you can say, I did my thing. Jesus says his kingdom is his kingdom and is about him, not about you and me. Success is walking with him, listening to him, dying to your ways, your plans, and yourself. It is about sacrificing loving, sacrificially loving others and investing in the future and in eternity. It is about giving, not taking, and being light in darkness, not having the light shine on you. It is about trusting God for today and for the future. It's about doing life together. Because we are God's kids, and because we have faith in the Messiah, the Son of God, the world's power over us is broken. The allurement. The world is no longer my passion. God is. Sinful desires and attractions are no longer beautiful. God and his will are. I love one of my commentators who said this. Overcomers via the new birth and faith in Christ are no longer consumed by what they don't have. In parentheses, lust of the flesh and of the eyes. Or what they do have, pride and lifestyle. That spell has been broken. The shackles have come loose. The blinders have been removed. We no longer pine after and love stuff. Rather, with a new holy affections, we pine after and love God. The new birth makes all this possible. And faith gives us eyes to see it. This is a battle. It is Because the world's message is relentless. We can win the battle against the world because we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is our Savior. It is our faith in Jesus that saves us from sin's power and authority. It is the word that speaks truth in the community of God that holds us responsible. You know, I believe the church that is the body of Christ is beautiful. I was talking with a tradesman this week. You know, those guys are a little bit rougher around the edges, right? And we were talking about a job and talking about life and, and so on. And, and it finally got around to his church. And he said this. He said it right out, right to me. He goes, I love my church. And my eyes filled up with tears. Probably because I don't hear that that often. But mostly because I want that to be the experience of everyone in the church. I think so does John. And I think he wants that for our church. You see, the church is critical in the life of every believer. 
The church is a place to learn about God and his ways together to spur one another toward obedience, which is loving God. The church is a place that reflects God, being loved and loving others. And today we're reminded that church is a place to battle the world together. To remind each other of the important. Because the world's message never stops. It's lies and you're deceived. You see, God never intended you or me to do life alone but to do it as a family. And I think that's God's desire that he gave John to hammer home to us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for being our God. I thank you for loving us first. I thank you for modeling for us how to love and to change us from the inside out so we can love. Lord, the enemy is relentless. It tries to divide family. It tries to discourage family. And even uses the world and its allurement to distract us from what is important. So we ask you today, God, that you would give us your eyes and your perspective, that you would change us from the inside out, that we would be a family that reflects you well. We pray this in your son's name.